0: Hey friends, it's Weston. And I wanted to take just a second to thank you for listening to the Bowling Green Christian Church Sermon Podcast. If someone recommended this message to you, I hope that it encourages you. If you're here getting caught up on a week you missed, I hope that it challenges you. And if you're a visitor checking us out, I hope that it helps you connect with Jesus and his church. Whoever you are, whenever you're ready to take your next step closer to Jesus or to connect with a BGCC family, Know that we're here for you. You can learn more about how to connect with us by downloading our app when you text BGCC app to 77977. There in the app, you can submit prayer requests, find out about upcoming events, and even give to help support our ministry, including this podcast. It's my prayer that God uses this message to encourage and equip you to take your next best step in life, which is always one step closer to Jesus it's all right. Um, so it's Halloween. Um, I, you know, I, I probably shouldn't say this. I know some of you are a little myth. We're not doing church tonight on Halloween. Y'all need to get over it, okay? Because it's just going to be you here. Um, so that's why we, we didn't. Um, you know, I was going to dress up today. I was going to wear a suit and a tie. <laughs> I was. I was going to, and I was going to dress up like a preacher. And then I thought it was just going to take two much time to explain to people. Um, so there you have it. Anyways, we are in the middle of a series through the book of Revelation. We are in, um, in the, the heat of it right now. And today we're going to look at the seven trumpets. That's where we're going to be. A um, couple things I want to mention. Some people throughout the series have been asking me, hey, a good commentary. This is it. Zoom in real good zoom in real good, Revelations, four views, parallel commentary, edited by Steve Gregg. It goes with all of the different ways that you might interpret the book of Revelation. I don't know who's zooming in, I have no idea, Um, but it's a good one, so you can pick that one up later if you want to, Um, there's that. Let's see, other things we needed to get into, I don't know, I I don't know, we're just going to go, there's so much today, Buckle up. Get ready, okay? Get ready. If you are taking notes in the app, that was the other thing I wanted to say. Uh, Last week, some people were like, I've missed the blank for the whatever in the app in the notes, and here's a little trick for you. If you go to the bottom of the notes in the app on the sermon notes, there's a little button that says share, or it's got the arrow pointing thing Android, I don't know, you're on your own, but um, it does the share thing, and when you share it, it actually fills in all the blanks for you, plus inserts the notes that you take. So you could actually text it to yourself or email it to yourself and, and print it out, frame it, do whatever you want to do with it. Um, there you go. That's that. So there you go. That's, there we go. Today, I really want to talk about God's power, because it is uh, part of an equation that I think we struggle with in our faith. Here's Here's the struggle. There is evil in the world. Like, we know that. Like, there's no doubt about that. Just turn on the news, evil in the world, it's there. So for those of us that believe in God, we wrestle with evil in the world and the dynamic of God with that, because we believe that God is all-knowing. And we've talked about this in the book of Revelation already, or we've seen it. It talks about how God's got these spirits throughout the whole earth that, that reveal things to him. Uh, In the book of Revelation, we see all these creatures covered with eyes. What does that mean to be covered with eyes or to have more than normal eyes? It means that you see everything, that you know everything. Eyes are how we gather information. And so God's all-knowing, God is good. We know that from the beginning of the book of Revelation where it says that who's going to open up the seal? Who's going to open up God's plan to renew all things? Well, it's the Lamb. It's Jesus who came, died on the cross for us while we were still sinners, according to the book of Romans. And so who does that but a good God? God is all-knowing, God is good, but there's still evil in the world. And that wouldn't be a problem if we didn't believe that God was also all-powerful. Or maybe that's the question. Is God all-powerful? Is God able to do something about the evil that we see in the world? Because I guess in theory we could say God is all-knowing. He knows that there's evil in the world, and he is good. He's done what he can, but he's just not able to finish it all. And I think we sort of sometimes sit in this place where we're like, you know, what is God doing? Is God powerful enough to deal with, With the evil in the world and that's the question i really want to get into here in the book of revelation as we pick up here in chapter eight in chapter eight we start to see god's power revealed and and spoiler alert i know some of you are are looking ahead and you're really uh you know revelation junkies we're going to skip over chapter 10 today and here's why john is told to seal up what he hears and sees in chapter 10 and so there's no d- good for us to speculate as to what that is. So we're going to skip over that. We're going to look at the, the big things, the big things of power in 8, 9, and then in chapter 11. And, and I wonder, where is it that you have seen God's power in this world? Uh, for different people, it's in different places. Some people, man, they say, man, I feel the power of God in a worship service. And it's just in this moment that I just feel God's power in me and in the, in the, in the church. And it's just, it's amazing. Other people, and I would probably put myself in this camp, feel God's power in nature. You, you stand out and you see the awesome power of God in creation. You see it uh, you know, at the coast or you see it in the mountains and you just think, my goodness, how powerful is God to have created all of this? It's here in the book of Revelation chapter 8 that we start to see God has power and he has power over nature. The first four trumpets that we're going to look at show that God has complete power over nature. I, I want to set the scene here, make sure that we're all sort of, you know, in holding all of this together. And if you've missed a week, I would encourage you to go back and, and pick up in the, uh, the podcast or pick up uh, on our YouTube channel and Facebook, and it's all over the place. Um, and you can, it's also in the app. Um, you can find it all over the place where we've been. But just, just to kind of help us orient ourselves, last week we looked at the lamb who's opening up the seals. The seals are sealing the scroll, which is God's plan for all of the earth. It's his plan for the renewal of all of the earth. And and as the lamb is opening these seals, we're getting sort of a preview of what's coming. When that last seal gets opened, it's sort of the cue for the angelic brass band to start to play, and we're going to have seven trumpets that are going to blow. And with each of these trumpets, there's going to be this incredible um, plague poured out upon the earth. But it's important to know why these plagues are happening. And it goes back to the seals. Jesus is opening these up because it is his plan to bring renewal to all of the earth. He's making all things new in the book of Revelation. And part of what fuels this judgment or purification, however you want to phrase it, uh, part of what fuels that is our prayers. Every time we've prayed a prayer and we've said, God, would you bring justice? God, would you bring healing? God, would you defeat sickness? God, would you put death to death? God has saved those prayers, and we're going to see here in these chapters that he is, in fact, powerful enough to defeat all of these enemies. And so it starts here as he reveals his power over nature. Uh, We're not going to look at the text right here, but it's going to be in 8, 7 through 8, 12, we see the first four trumpets. I've got those listed for you there in your app, uh, inside of the notes there. But these plagues, they read a lot like the plagues that were sent by God onto Egypt in the book of Exodus, as he pours out all of these things to try to get humanity's attention. Trumpet one, we have a third of earth and vegetation burned from hail and fire. This is, this is the big one that's going to come. It comes down, and it's a terrifying thing if you think about it, to have hail and fire coming at the same time. And that's what God sends down, and it begins the renewal of all things there. Uh, Trumpet 2 blows, and we have a third of the sea turns to blood. There's this giant uh, mountain that's thrown into the sea. It's a giant mountain of burning fire thrown into the sea, and that causes the sea to become blood, a third of the sea to become blood. We have living creatures in the sea die. The ships are destroyed in a third of the sea, and so this happens next. Trumpet 3 is a third of the rivers, and springs are poisoned. Uh, so here we've got this uh, star named Wormwood, and it falls and it poisons a third of the fresh water in the earth. You come to Trumpet 4, and you've got a third of the sun, moon, and stars are darkened. And you know, again, if you're holding all these things in sort of in your mind, you remember last week all of the stars, and sun, and moon had been extinguished. And so here they're back, and now a third of them are put back out again. Again, what I'm arguing for as we go through this is that this is a cyclical thing. This is a thing that God is saying, listen, it always feels sometimes like it's the end of the world. But what's funny to me, I shouldn't say funny, what's startling to me, is that, just think about the reaction you would have if you had a third of the earth and vegetation burned, a third of the sea turned to blood, a third of the rivers and springs poisoned, and you had a third of the sun and moon and stars just all of a sudden like darkened what would your reaction be? You would think to yourself, my goodness, this is the end of the world. Uh, Oh my goodness, what has happened here? And it would cause you to look for God. It would cause you to get on your knees and say, God, I don't know if we're right right now, but I really want to be right with you because you clearly have power. But that's not the reaction that's contained here in the book of Revelation. It seems that nobody really pays attention to it. That nobody's bothered by it, but nobody's concerned by it. Nobody gets on their knees. They're kind of like Pharaoh. They refuse to be humbled before God. And so God says, all right, that's not enough. We're going to turn it up a notch. We're going to turn it up a little bit. And here in Revelation 8, 13, we have a warning. It says, you know, hey, things are about to get weird. Um, It's not how it says it in the Bible. Let me read it to you. It says, then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew in the mid-heaven. Whoa, 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 to the inhabitants of the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. So what this this angel, this eagle angel, is saying is saying, listen, you thought that was rough? It's about to get rougher. You thought that was weird? It's about to get weirder. You thought that was powerful? It's about to get even more powerful. Because the next two trumpets, trumpets five and six, show God's power over the supernatural. It's sort of like God is saying, listen, if you don't like me, Let me see what you think about the alternative. And perhaps you would prefer that. And so now we get into what I think is one of the weirdest, creepiest pictures inside of the book of Revelation. We have this angel comes down. And I don't have this one for you on the screen, but it says that this angel comes down um, and he is given a key to open the shaft of the bottomless pit. That doesn't sound like a real positive kind of place. He opens the shaft of the bottomless pit and I imagine that it's got a creaking sound like in the horror movies, you know, like, he opens the door and he opens the shaft and what comes out of the shaft? It says, from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace and the sun and the air were darkened with smoke from the shaft and from the smoke came the locusts on the earth. But these aren't normal locusts, friends. These are demon locusts. Let's pick up in verse seven. Here's what we find. It says, "In appearance, the locusts were like horses equipped for battle." What's the symbolism here? It's that they're strong. They have, uh, they're. Hold on. We'll look here. It's verse seven. Uh, horses equipped for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. So, in other words, they have an appearance of authority. Their faces were like human faces, which means they looked intelligent. Uh, Verse 8, their hair like women's hair. In other words, there was something strangely attractive about these demon locusts. And their teeth were like lion's teeth. And they had scales like iron breastplates and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariot horses rushing into battle. And they have tails like scorpions with stingers and their tails is the power to harm people for five months. Wow. Sounds pretty terrifying. But here's the thing with all of this. Is we got to remember who's in control. If you pick up there in verse 1 through 3, what does it say? It says that the angel was given a key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. The angel had to be given the key. In other words, that angel couldn't open the door without the key. Where does he get this key from? Well, we've seen keys show up in the book of Revelation before. In chapter 1, Jesus says, look at me, I have conquered death and Hades, and I've got the keys. Now here's the thing. The word for the abyss or the bottomless shaft and death and Hades, it's not the same word. So I can't prove to you sort of in the Greek, and I don't know if some of you want me to do that, that this is the same place and that's the key he got. But I do think it's suspicious that we saw keys before and now the keys are starting to be used. Who's in control? It's God. Even if those aren't the keys, here's what I know, that that angel has no authority except that which has been given to him. And so God is in control of all this. God is literally giving humanity a preview of hell. He's saying, listen, if you want life apart from me, this is what it looks like. Is that what you want? Because you can have it. The choice is yours. You see, God is in control of all this. Pick up in verse 4. We do have this one on the screen. Here's what God does. He limits the evil that they can do. He says, they were told not to damage the grass of the earth or any green growth or any tree um, or, uh, but only those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. God is saying, listen, I'm going to let you out for a little while, demon locusts. But here's the rules. You better play by them. And when the time for them is up, guess what? They just fade away. They just go. Why? Because God is ultimately in control. So that's what happens. They faded his command. And then trumpet six comes and trumpet six reveals a third of humanity is killed by this supernatural army and you would think after all of this you've got the the the, the seas and the the vegetation is burned a third of the fresh water is destroyed you got a third of the stars are dimmed you've had the plague of demon locusts you know you now have this army swept out a third of humanity and has had the scorched earth policy you would think that after all of that humanity would say listen We get it. God, we're sorry. We want to get in line with you. We want to get to be a part of your program. But that's not the response. Verse 20 in chapter 9, it reads this. It says, "...the rest of humankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent." of the work of their hands, or give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood which cannot talk, see or hear or walk, or unleash a plague of demon locusts, and they did not repent of their murderers or sorceries or their fornications or their thefts. In other words, humanity looks at God and they say, listen, we're not impressed. We're not impressed with the power that you have. You see, we struggle with this. Now, I know we kind of look at this and we kind of go, oh, well, that's kind of weird. But it's true. It, it is how we live, friends. This, this is us. You know, we struggle with authority. You know, you tell people, don't do this. And people are like, well, I want to do that. Don't go through that door. Well, what's behind that door? You know, don't, don't push this button. Well, what happens if I push this button? Don't turn that knob. What happens if I turn that knob? You know, don't, don't eat that. That's for later. What, I want to eat that now. this is, we struggle with this. We struggle with this. And God says, listen. We've got a plan to bring renewal to all things, and you can be part of that. And we're like, I I don't know. I kind of want to do it my own way. We have this concept in our minds that if we as people could just sort of get together, that we can make everything better and better and better. And this has been a fallacy that's been with us for a long time. I mean, the Tower of Babel, right? God destroys the world with a flood, or I should say he saves the world through a flood, believe it or not, it says that the world is killing itself off, consumed with violence. The flood comes and Noah saves the world. And what does humanity do? Instead of you know, going, God, you're so powerful, they say, you know what? Let's build a tower. Then then that way, we've got the power to take care of ourselves. Friends, this is where we live. We live in this place where we think, we just get together. We don't need God. We can do it ourselves, and we can do it better. It's interesting to me how views of Revelation have changed based on human history. I want to give you just a a brief history snippet, because today, the most popular view of interpreting Revelation is what we call a premillennial view. It's that there's going to be this miraculous rapture where all the Christians are kind of sucked up to heaven and then everybody's left here and then all the stuff that we're reading starts to break loose on the earth. And there's different ways that people do these timelines. But this is not the most popular view through history. The most popular view through history is that Revelation is describing some events that have taken place in the past that John's audience were familiar with and that they're using these as an, as sort of a description of the cycles of human history how we're sort of addicted to war and violence and how disease comes and causes plagues. This feels relevant, doesn't it? In a way that it didn't maybe a few years ago. And how this cycle just keeps repeating on earth and people keep rejecting God and ignoring God and, and those that come back come back and find life inside of him. But there was another view of Revelation that was all the rage in the 1800s and early part of the 1900s. And it was a view called post-millennialism. And you've probably not heard of it because I don't think anybody believes it in anymore. But here's how this view worked. This view said, you know what's going to happen? Is the church is going to spread throughout the whole world the, the, the church is going to spread throughout the whole world and if you think about the history of what's taking place at this time, it's pretty fascinating. You've got things like vaccines being developed and people aren't dying from diseases that they used to die from like, you know, smallpox and, and these kinds of things and, and we have, uh, you know, electricity and science and the industrial revolution is coming and, and the world seems to be getting better and, and you know, global transport uh, through ships and other things are, are starting to happen and people are getting more connected and it feels like, you know, maybe in fact what we're doing is we're sort of just bringing the world together you've got colonialism spreading all over and and people are taking over all these countries and and you know in their mind they're you know we're we're civilizing them right and and we're spreading the gospel this is kind of the the narrative that that uh, the western society is telling themselves and and all this is happening and 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 the church thought that what was going to end up happening was that Eventually, Christianity was going to spread around the world. We were going to conquer every single disease. War was going to become obsolete because we'd all become really great neighbors and friends. And then eventually, we were going to make heaven on earth. And that once heaven on earth had been made, what was going to happen is Jesus was going to just kind of walk over from heaven to earth and be like, hey, guys, I'm here. You did it. Good job. Thanks. And they really thought that they were going to make the world so much better that eventually it would be heaven and there would be no difference between earth and heaven practically and Jesus was just gonna walk over. This view falls apart with three major events. The first is World War I. World War I happens and they see that, man, we are really cruel people, and we do a really great job of, of destroying each other. The second thing happened was the Great Depression, which is a global thing and causes economic downturn throughout the world, and people are going, man, you know, it's kinda of rough. And then World War II was the death knell in that. Uh, World War II comes and we see that in fact technology hasn't enabled us to become better but that in fact our technology has finally caught up with our evil imagination and we're now able to be as evil as we had wanted to be before and it's there that post dies and really Europe's faith dies because they were so invested in this concept and they start to say man we're not gonna it's not gonna get better we're not able to do it and that's the point We're not able to do it. We require Christ. We need Jesus to come. Now, here's the thing with reading through the book of Revelation is that there's a hundred different ways to place all of these things. And I don't know some people want to put them historically in different places. I brought this book up because I wanted to hit a few of the highlights. Some of these things are placed with the Jewish war that ends in the destruction of of, uh, Jerusalem in AD 70. Some of these take place with the destruction of the Roman Empire. Uh, Some of these are placed within side of the papacy. And you've got these things that happen, and you've got different witnesses that are listed. Some people will put Nero's persecution in here. Some people will say that Napoleon factors into all of this timeline. And here's the thing that I know for sure, is that maybe one of these people is right, but maybe they're wrong. You see, throughout history, we've always looked at the book of Revelation. We've said, man, that's right now. And the truth is, it might be right now. It might be, and it might have been then, and it might have been the time before that. Because we keep living through this life, this cycle of earth, on repeat. We engage in war, we experience death, we experience famine, and plague, and hardship. And God's power is through it all. But here's where we see God's power shine brightest. This is what happens in chapter 11. We see that God's power shines brightest In the church in chapter 11 we're introduced to two witnesses who come and and they're prophesying there before the Lord and and you've got this temple being marked out and this is most likely the church is sort of being marked out but not everybody's in the temple and and now you've got these two witnesses that are there that are kind of reminiscent of Moses and Elijah you know the the powerful people of God who've ushered in new times and places And in the midst of this dark and trying time, we're reminded that a witness remains. Let's pick up in Revelation chapter 11. And I want to just skip down to verse 3. And he says, I will grant my two witnesses authority to prophesy for 1,260 days wearing sackcloth. For those of you that don't do math real fast, that's three and a half years. Four, these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. What does that mean? Well, we saw lampstands before, didn't we? In Revelation chapter 1. What were the lampstands? They were the church. And so we've got the church standing before God. Think about the context of this imagery I mean, really, really hold on to this. The vegetation of the earth has been destroyed. Water's been destroyed. Fresh water's been destroyed. We've seen this this army come with the scorched earth policy and burn the earth. What stands, though? Two trees. Two olive trees. Symbolizing what? That you might destroy that, but God's church is going to stand and be a place of shelter for those that need it. What else happens? The lights have gone out, but what what, what remains? It's the lampstands. The lampstands, the church burns brightly the church is called that's us me and you to be a light and a shelter in difficult times and i know we don't think about the church being powerful but it is powerful look here at revelation chapter 11 and pick up in verse 11 here's what happens is we've got the church is attacked it is presumed dead by the world but verse 11 says this after three and a half days the breath of life from god entered them They stood on their feet, and those who saw them were terrified. I bet they were. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Come up here, and they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies watched them. You see, the church is more powerful than the armies of the earth. It's more powerful than the plagues of the earth. It's more powerful than the supernatural plagues that come. The church survives and stands within it all. And here's the thing. The ministry of the church is so similar to the ministry of Jesus Christ. They are ministering for three and a half years. We believe Jesus ministered for three, right? And then they lay dead for what? Three and a half days. Jesus is in the tomb for three. So they minister for this time and they're only dead for this time and then they're brought back to life. You see, the church is the body of Christ and here in the book of Revelation, it is reliving that. Here's the truth is that the church cannot stay dead. Go through history and you will find that every time somebody thinks they've stamped out the church, they find that it's still alive and well. I mean, today in China, it's illegal to be a Christian. In North Korea, if you worship Jesus and you gather together and do that, you can find yourself inside of of a prison camp. And what is happening? We know that within China, the church is growing incredibly exponentially so fast. I ran into a guy that I knew from college at a conference I was at not that long ago, and he had done work as a missionary sort of undercover, underground in China, and he told me, he said, you would not believe how quickly the Chinese church is growing. He said, it is staggering. Friends, we may not know that, and the Chinese government may think they've stamped it out, but you cannot kill the church of God. Jesus said what? He said that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. He said if the devil came at the church, if if the whole world comes at the church, as we see here in this passage, the church is going to stand. That's the message of these passages for us. Now listen, as I thought about this, I want to make this real personal. Because as I thought about the church, I, I have to admit I don't always think of the church as a powerful place. And maybe you're in that zone too. I'll also say this about the church. I don't always think positive about the church. We should just own that probably. We've not always got it right. I started thinking about my own history with the church. And for some reason, to my mind came uh, the the last guy I ordained. We ordained here up here through the midst of the pandemic was Brian Luna. And I remember praying over him with Jared. Jared, come back. For those of you who don't remember, Jared was a youth minister with us for a long time. We, we still like him most of the time. We're still kind of mad he left, but um, we still like him. And I remember praying over Brian, and I remember starting to cry. And, and, and as I thought about that, I remembered the reason for that is it was like I was getting this vision, and, and I'm not talking in a supernatural sense. I wasn't in a trance. I mean, it was, you know, we could probably come up with good reasons why I started thinking about this. But I started to think of all the places I had been hurt in the church, and I'd been hurt because I was in the church and because I led in the church, and I thought about all that pain, and it was like as I had my hand on him, I could see that in his future also, and I can tell you, and some of you can tell me even better, that there's no hurt like church hurt, there is no hurt like church hurt, because the church shouldn't hurt the way that it does, and as I thought about that, I thought, man, it's tough sometimes to be in ministry. It's tough sometimes to be in church, and yet I still believe in it because I believe it is the resting place of the power of God. And so, yes, I've had some of my lowest lows in the church, but I've also had my highest highs in the church. It was in church that people loved me. And they encouraged me in my faith. And they told me the same things my parents were telling me. But you know, as a teenager, you don't want to hear those things from your parents. And it was in the church that that I learned about the love of Jesus Christ. And it was in the church that I found salvation. And I was baptized into Jesus Christ. It was in the church that I received a sense of encouragement and vocation. And it's not just because I went into ministry. I mean, people were praying for all of us as we entered into college. Said, man, God's gonna do some great things with you. And it was there that I had a sense of call brought into my life. It happened in the church. It's where I found purpose. It was in the church that I exchanged vows with my wife. And we committed to love each other for a lifetime. It was in the church. Like super early. We brought our kids and we dedicated them. We prayed. It was in the church. For one of them, right here in this baptistry, baptized all three of my children to new life in Jesus Christ, in the church. Friends, the church is the power of God. And I believe in the church. And I can tell you that if I was in trouble, the place I'd want to be the church that's where i want to be so i don't know what kind of trumpets are blowing into your life i don't know if if you read through the book of revelation here and you feel like that's happening to you right now like the world is going away like the lights are going out like everything is being extinguished and all that you love is being destroyed i don't know where you are right now but i know that the safest place to be in the midst of the trumpets blowing, and in the midst of the storm, is the church. It's where you want to be. So here's the challenge today. It's double down on your connection and your commitment to the church. This is where you want to be. Now let me let me acknowledge this. Some of you are sort of church consumers, and that's great because the church exists to give, and so we will always give. But for some of you, it's time that you be part of this church you become a part of the church and you say you know what i'm going to invest my life in what holds the very power of god in the very thing that's going to withstand hell and the entire world united against it that's what i want to be a part of and so for some of you man your next step is to meet next sunday and circle up and we're going to be talking about what it means to become a member of bowling green christian church Others of you, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You are missing out on the power of God. There are going to be storms. There's going to be trumpets. There's going to be seals. We're going to see bowls of wrath poured out on the earth. But the safest place to be in all of that is going to be inside of the church. It's going to be inside of Jesus Christ. And if you've never given your life to him this morning, you could have that experience. If you're joining us online, you can text the word prayer to our phone number 270-842-6231. And that begins a conversation with us. Because here's the thing, we really want you to experience the power of God in the church. We want you to experience the saving power of Jesus Christ as revealed in the church. So yeah, we get hung up on all this trumpet stuff. We get hung up on Wormwood and what that means. And yes, fun fact, Chernobyl actually means Wormwood in Russian, so people thought that was it. We get hung up on all that, but let me tell you, that's not the big news. The big news... Is that the church lasts through it all. The church is a shelter and a light in dark times, and it's available to us. Here's what I want you. I want you to stand with me. We're going to read through the book of Revelation, the whole thing. I'm just kidding. I misread my notes here. <laughs> Revelation 11, pick up in verse 15. I want to go ahead and start us out, but then I want us to read what happens because here's what happens. That seventh trumpet blows and heaven gets opened up and people start to see what's really going on. It says, the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, and let's say this part together, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah and he will reign forever this part, and the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God, fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, and let's say this together. We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come, the time for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name, both great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. And let me close out with this. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant, and there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a severe hailstorm. As God continues... His process of purifying the world. But it's safe within the church. So this morning, we're gonna sing a song and we're gonna share in communion after that. But as we sing this, I would say do what you need to do to make sure that you're connected with Christ in His church. I'm gonna be over here. If you've got questions, you wanna pray, you wanna talk about that, I'd love to talk with you. Some of you, it's just time for you to talk with Jesus again. It's been a while since you, you were baptized, you did all that, but it's been a while since you've had a conversation. We've got the baptistry open. Some people like to come up and put their hands in there just to be reminded of their baptism, to be reminded of the fact that they are saved in Jesus Christ and have a moment of private prayer. If that's you, we invite you to do that too. If you're online, shoot us a message through email or through Facebook. Get in touch with us because listen, the amazing power the gift of the church and of salvation is available to all of us. We just have to accept it. Let's sing together.